He's thinking. Job chapter 16. I'm thinking it's a wonderful book about a wonderful Savior, about a man who really has gone through an awful lot and yet did not relinquish his faith in God. What an example he was. But he really talks about, it's about God, as you've talked about before. How about the first six verses of 16, and we will pray and go from there. Job 16, 1. Then Job answered, Eliphaz has just given his diatribe toward Job. He answered and said, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters all ye are. Shall vain words have an end, or what emboldeth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul stead, I would heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. But I have strengthened you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged, and though I forbear, what am I eased? May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that this evening I would say nothing untoward or amiss that would anyway detract from your word be with our time together would help us this week that we would live for you uh, we had a moment of decision this morning i pray that you help all of us that each morning we will determine to live our lives with you at the center you living your life through us and so help me this evening and ask these things in jesus name i pray amen so we find it at Eliphaz, really, in chapter 15. It's sort of like he took the boxing gloves off and was really boxing at Mr. Job. Job responded, if you can do that, then I know my, my hands are covered with sores, but I can take off the gloves too. Verse 2, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters are ye all. Now we know there were three there. There was Eliphaz, there was Bildad, there was Zophar, and there was even another Elihu was later on. So there's at least three, if not four listening. You find four responses, if you're jotting down notes. First of all, he was disgusted in his first six verses. Uh, they're realistic, and I hope not too shocking, but he was disgusted. I have heard many such things, miserable comforters ye are, are ye all? Such vain how vain words have an end, or what emboldeth thee that thou answerest? One pastor has a memorable paraphrase of verse, memorable paraphrase of verse 2. Oh, spare me now, my friends, your packages of God, your simple adages like be good and strong, but when weak and wrong. They make good rote and clever song, but do not hold the wisdom of our God. So, so Eliphaz Bill that so far had had these patent answers for Job's problem. The patent answer was, Job, you're wrong. You sinned, you don't, you're bad, you've done, obviously, and you need to wake up and admit that. And once you admit that, then God will help you. But Job knows he has done nothing amiss, and he's unsure. God has been silent. He's unsure why all these things have happened. I believe he's getting disgusted with Eliphaz, and rightly so. And so he chooses not to sit there in silence. He chooses to respond. Sometimes things just need to be responded to. I have heard many such things, miserable comforters. Literally means comforters of trouble who increase trouble rather than ministering comfort. Dr. Morris says these words, quoting, These three former friends had come to Job to mourn with him and to comfort him. Instead, all they have done was to condemn him for his supposed sins and now to accuse him of hypocrisy. To a sincere and righteous man like Job, their attack and accusations were probably a greater trial to his faith than all the earlier attacks of Satan upon his possessions and his body. End of quote. Job was such a righteous man... 
that for him to, to say such negative things. Now, you have probably had things said about you that were untrue, and you know the truth, and isn't it hurtful sometimes? This thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That's a farce. That's a false statement. Words are very cruel. They can be. So Job, having heard all this, not only all that he has lost, but now he has his friends who are so unkind to him. Miserable comforters. It's really an oxymoron. Miserable comfortables, comforters. Sorry, Oxymoron is simply a combination of two contradictory words, such as accurate estimate, alone together, awfully good, bittersweet. Would you climb down? Close distance. Grow smaller. Jumbo shrimp. Sweet and sour. A helpful cat. A thoughtful feline. Those are all oxymorons. Now, some of those, those last two were homemade, but nonetheless, they were oxymorons. Things that just don't go together. You think this is comfort. What a sorrowful group they were. Job nails it. They were miserable comforters. One man said this. Job complains that often he has heard many such things as the comforters speak. But in his present plight, such pious platitudes, must be a pastor writing, serve only to increase his sorrow. Therefore, he accuses his friends of being miserable comforters. It's a pungent oxymoron. The more words they speak to comfort, the more pain they inflict. Often you'll hear me say, I'm going to just stop right there before I dig myself any further into the hole. And so that's what they have done. They should have stopped. With a binding rhetorical question, Job charges Eliphaz with uttering windy words. Look at verse 3. Shall vain words have an end? It's like it's, uh, the windbag seems to be a popular euphemism or phrase in the East, and that's what he's asking, setting about him. You're just a bag of wind. Accuse Job of that, 15.2. And in 8.2, we see also a strong wind. And what irritates, he asked Elphase what irritates him, and they were so irritated because Job wouldn't confess. I know you're guilty. You've got to be guilty because our theology says you must be guilty. That's when we get, see what happens is we put God to a box. When things happen to us that are outside and don't seem quite fair, then we say, well, God, why are you doing this? God, why are you doing that? God, don't you know that I've been serving you? I've been faithful. Listen, you can't, you don't have, we don't have a candle on Job, probably. Job was extreme. Matter of fact, he was the best, he was like, well, the best man in the East. He was, he was a man of, after God's heart. And yet, God allowed this to happen to him. You find that sometimes people who are graceless and insulting do not ha- get a clue. Sometimes you have, have to be equally strong in return. Speaking truth cuts through the fuzzy, vague, feel-good verbiage that often characterizes a lot of religious cliches. That is why we are urged to learn how to speak the truth not in love but we need to speak the truth the word of God the truth of God's word and that really cuts through all the extra things and and we heard just a gentleman I'm not signing on for all things to go on but try to speak the truth in song about what he felt was going on in America and how much of a backlash he has gotten just this week for a song that he thought needed to be etc said something needs to be said we need to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we, we are the ones who need to hear them. A good example, perhaps I get fired t- Tuesday. I'm working tomorrow, fired Tuesday. 
And so the gentleman, my director, sits down at him, that here's why you're getting fired. Because you've done this, you've done this, and you've done this. Now, if I was, if I could get over my frustration or whatever it was for being fired, he's trying at that moment to help me. So when you start your next job, you don't get fired from that job and for doing the very same thing. And so that moment of truth, it's not a pleasant moment. But sometimes we need to hear that. And the people, the three friends who were talking to Job needed to hear the truth. The truth. We in America need to hear the truth based upon God's word, as you well know. Job's here in verse 2. Shall vain words have an end? Or, or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? Your words are wrongly stated. You have misjudged me. Job might be saying, in other words, furthermore, your words are harsh and therefore incorrect. I'm telling you, you're a sorry comforter. Vain words again, that blowhard or a windbag similar to that. He is disgusted. And once more, we, he occasions he's going to start talking about his wonderful God. Now remember, we talked about later on that Job talks about God. They talk about themselves and talk about Job. Job talks about God. It's sort of like Job is, here is God at the center and Job is at an orbit and sometimes Job's elliptical orbit gets a little bit further than usual, but God's going to keep drawing him back in. He's going to circle back around. He's going to come back to God. But sometimes there's this elliptical orbit. There's meteors coming along, and, and we get a little bit further out than we should. We have always still got to come back to God. He's the center. And so if you're somewhere way out here in space somewhere because you just, you just think God's not treated you right. Have you ever heard people say, well, you should know what God's done to me. God's been so unfair to me. You mean the same God that gave you life? The same God that's holding you together by the word of his power? The same God that came to die on the cross to save you from your sin? That's the God who's done you wrong? Sometimes you need a perspective. Here's the center. We need to get back in our orbit around him, it would seem. Disgusted he was. Number two, the second D is distressed. We find then that Job is not only disgusted, distressed over God's apparent absence and very obvious silence. Now remember, Job was not privy to chapters 1 and 2. He did not know what was going on between Satan and God. And so we may, we may, this may sound shocking when you read these words, but remember, Job does not have all that enlightenment. It's really we need a literal translation, someone said, to do justice to the savagery of Job's description of God's vicious attack 7 and 8. And But now he hath made me weary, thou hast made desolate my company, and thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. So he, 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 Job has done these. God has shriveled up Job with his figuring disease. Look at verse 9. He teareth me in his wrath, and who hateth me? He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. The beast, like a beast tearing in revenge. His eyes were shooting sort of like daggers. Verse 10, Then they gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. They have joined in the abuse. Verse 11, God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. 
Job is, where is God? Look what God has done to me. He's done all these things, and I, I am just undone in many ways. It's like, have you ever seen a lion take an animal, just shake him, grab hold of him by the back of the neck? Sometimes you'll see a dog do that to another animal, and they will just shake him until they, they break, whatever, they break the neck, whatever it is they do. God has taken him by the back of the neck and shaken him. Then God set him up for archery practice. Look at chapter 12, uh, 16, verse 12 at the end. And set me up for his mark. His archers compassed me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth me upon me like a giant. Wow. Job has... He's getting toward rock bottom. Sometimes I always said, well, they won't really turn to the Lord until they get to the bottom of the barrel. And they, and they keep going down, down, down. I think, well, I think this person's finally reached the bottom of the barrel. They might start look. The only way you can look what is up. So Job is quite discouraged. Continuing on, look what he says in starting 15. I've sewed sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping and on my eyelids is a shadow of death. Not any, not for any injustice in mine hands. Also, my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood and let my cry have no place. Also now behold, my witness is in heaven and my record is on high. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. With when a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. Well, he's discouraged. But not, uh, again, he has a right if we're thinking about emotional words. If you, if you find fault in this, I'm telling you, you've probably never been there. If you find fault in what Job has said here. There's not a counselor who has not heard these words about well, God has, how God has treated them. And the people come in, well, God's done all these things to me, against me. Their words are strong. They are full of anguish. And when people are emotionally hurt, they're going to say strong words, full of anguish. That's what Job's doing. Remember, he still does not know the arrangement. He still does not know that God has allowed these things to happen to prove that Job is truly his child. And Job's not going to succumb to the satanic uh, temptations, etc. Not once has God given Job a word of explanation. Remember, all his adult life, he has walked very closely with God, and now all of a sudden, there's no word. How does this work? That's why he's so discouraged. No wonder he's distressed. Where is God in all of this? Someone gave a, a, what might be a Job modern day example. It's like driving home from work after a terrible day at the office, bumper-to-bumper traffic. The guy behind you smashes into your car, and you hit the guy in front of you who happens to be a brand-new Porsche. Porsche drivers tend not to like that very much when you hit them from the rear. You get everything documented by the police, and the Porsche owner is so angry he threatens to litigation against you. When you finally get home, you don't have any milk in the refrigerator. Your dog's hungry. He's been gnawing on the cabinet. Your kids are mean. They've been gnawing on each other. And the mail is full of un, over, unpaid, overdue bills, and you're out of money. Then your wife tells you that she got the results of her test yesterday, and tomorrow the doctor wants to see the both of you first thing in the morning, and that does it. You're thinking, what is this all about, God? Why am I? Why, where are you? No answer comes. Tomorrow was the worst day than today, and the next week is intensifying all of it, making this week look like a downhill slide. 
On top of all that, you're about to lose your job. And the guy in the Porsche does, is going to sue you. And on and on and on. And on. Now, I tell you, I don't think it would take that many things for us to start, God, where are you? you know, about one of those. You know, Lord, I, I was driving in traffic and unusually slow for me. And I wasn't following too close to this person. And, and now I'm in trouble for what somebody else did. Just one thing would probably put us in. Oh, God, where are you? You know, why are you allowing this to happen? Job had all these things going on. In our unguarded moments, the pastor's not around. Nobody's listening but the dog or the cat. Lord, are you up there still? Are you there? Well, pastor, I'm so spiritual. I can handle all those things. And I wouldn't have a question like that ever. Pastor, because I no, you're not. You're probably not. Most likely. And I, don't, I hope that none of us have to go through what Job has gone through just to prove that you're not. He was disgusted. He was distressed. And then now it follows in 17.2 to 10. He was depressed. 17.2 Are there not mockers with me? And doth mine eye, not mine eye, continue in their provocation? Lay down now. Put me in a surety with thee. Who is thee that will strike hands with me? Now remember, Hebrew poetry, repeating the same thing over and over so that we get it. Not in rhyme, just in repetition. For thou hast hid their heart from understanding, therefore shalt thou not exalt them. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children shall fail. He hath made me also a byword of the people. And aforetime I was as a tabret. Mine eye also is dim by reason of sorrow, and all my members are as a shadow. Upright men shall be astonished at this, and the innocent shall stir up himself against the hypocrite. The righteous also shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. But as for you all, do ye return and come now, for I cannot find one wise man among you. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's disgusted, distressed. What specifically brought Job to this, I think, is the word abscond, if you would. Webster simply means it means to conceal, to depart secretly, to hide oneself. God has sort of absconded with all the blessings. God, why are you taking all those away? He's been very quiet. He's gone. We cannot figure it out. Have you ever had like prayers like, God, are you answering? Are you listening? He's listening. Perhaps it's, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Perhaps it's me, but perhaps you're right with God. And we, he doesn't have to answer on our time. I, I really believe that I have, typically we all have, tried to, to put God and understand how all that God works. We can't. God is so infinitely and greater than us. We can't stand, understand, we'll never will all that he does. Now we can understand some, yes. But his ways are not my ways, says in Isaiah. C.S. Lewis said, meanwhile, where is God? There is one of the, this is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you're happy, so happy, that you have no sense of needing Him, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when you need, or your need is desperate, when all other helps are vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting, and then double bolting on the inside. After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence. That's sort of what Job feels like right now. God has been so close to him, and now the door seems shut, bolted on both sides, inside, etc. And where is God now? Job's word teaches the, our perception of God's posture toward us based on circumstances alone, is far wrong, so wrong, it might impugn his own character. William Cooper, 
I believe he wrote the song, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood. I think he wrote there. Was all guilty stains. He said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Well, uh, I, I, and we've talked that we know the phrase put God in a box. We think that we can put God in a box or, or men will make an image and bow down. I'm worshiping that image. We worship a God who is far superior. Why do you think God says make no graven image? You can't put God on the image. In the image, he's so much greater than that. So he is disgusted, distressed, depressed. By the way, if anyone has an excuse for misinterpreting God's posture toward him, it was Job, given his limited revelation. If anyone does not have an excuse for misinterpreting God's posture toward us, it is us. Because we have his word. We know it. He loves us. He cares for us. He will not allow anything to our lives but by his loving hand to come there. He is despondent finally in the last part of it's sort of like a Job's Requiem. We find in 11, my days are past, my purposes are broken off, even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is my house. I have made my bed in the darkness. I have said the corruption, thou art my father, and to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our rest together is in the dust. Wow, he's discouraged. Probably as a worm crawls out of one of those sores right there. I said to my sister and my mother, you know, uh, I'm the worm, or etc. To the worm, thou art my mother. He was in such a discouraging place. He has reached, if you want to say, I believe that he has reached the bottom of the barrel. He's reached rock bottom. Death seems only recourse. And by the way, can I just say death was probably likely a great relief. I mean, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Even now in Old Testament time, I believe they went down to what is called Abraham's bosom. But yet that was far superior to the, to the garbage heap suffering in all this humiliation and pain and discouragement. Remember, he's lost 10 children, all his belongings. Everything but his life. His wife is even told God told him to curse God and die. And his three friends who started out well gotten over that in a way and they're berating him. If we had picked a song, we might say, Mr. Job, listen to this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. But we didn't have John Newton's song back then. And if we'd walk by Job, we'd probably, we'd probably, oh my goodness, Job, what has happened? What have you done wrong? That God, see, are we probably, the first thing we would say, we would have our judgmental cloak on. Look what Job has done to deserve something terribly must be amiss. Who has sinned, either he or his parents? He's blind. Who sinned? Either he or somebody had to sin. But you know what is missing for Mr. Job right here in the end of this verse 17, chapter 17? Hope. He has no grace from anybody around. There's nobody saying, Job, let's pray. Job, I've got, some, I've got some ointment to put on those. I've got some antibiotics to put on those sores. I've got some things that will get rid of those worms coming out of those sores. I've got this. I'm gonna, I've got a doctor coming. He's a specialist, a skin doctor. He said, we have none of that. What we have is, Job, man, you need to get right with God. I'm telling you, we talked about it many messages ago. When you talk to somebody who's hurting, they don't need to hear a sermon from you likely. 
Sometimes you need to sit and be quiet. And when they want to say something, you listen. A couple words response, sit quiet for a while. And let them talk when they're ready. In Yancey's, Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God, he gives the illustration about a, a friend of his who was swimming in a large lake at dusk. And he's paddling along leisurely. And then all of a sudden, an unusual freakish frog, frog, fog came in and rolled across the water. And suddenly he couldn't see anything anymore. There was no horizon, no landmarks, no objects. The fog had disfused the light altogether and didn't know where the shore was. And so for 30 minutes, he splashed around. He would start off one direction, turn 90 degrees and go another, then go back that direction, keep going on. And he was getting quite uh, frightened because he was getting so tired. He would float for a while, but he was wearing down and he was blindly striking out one direction, then another, then another, then another. And finally, he heard a, a faint voice calling from shore. And he pointed his body toward that voice and followed it to safety. I think it's something like the utter lostness that Job feels at this point in time. Everywhere he turns is discouragement. There's pain. There's suffering. And his friends are not helping at all. He's lost all his landmarks. He's, he's, he's lost his points of orientation. He has no children. He doesn't have the ministry. He's lost all his goods. His wife has turned against him possibly. And his friends surely are not being helpful. And his physical condition is next to death. You know, sometimes you say, I'd have to die to get, I'd have to die to get any, to get better. What did you say? To die to get better? Something like that. I'm telling you, Job would have to die. And die would be a big event, good event for Job at this point in time physically because he's so suffering. He's lost his landmarks. Where could he turn? God, the one who guided him through the fog, stays silent. The one point of the wager was to keep Job in the dark. And if God had delivered by some inspiring pep talk like, Job, do this for me, Job, as a knight of faith, as a martyr, then Job would have been ennobled and would have suffered gladly. But Satan had challenged whether Job's faith could survive without outside help or explanation. And when God accepted those terms, the fog rose in around Job. When you accept the terms of trusting Christ as your Savior and following Him, He may just trust, He may just test it. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You're getting serious about God serving the Lord? Satan does not like that. And God may allow you to go through some testing to see if you're going to continue on to be faithful. Are you going to continue to read your Bible, continue to grow? Are you going to do that? God ultimately won the wager, of course. Though Job lashed out with a stream of bitter complaints, and though he despaired of life and longed for death, still he defiantly refused to give up on God. Remember back in 1315, though he slay me, yet will I trust thee, him. Trust him. We could read Job's story and puzzle over the wager, and then we, we just sort of might take a big ah, sigh of relief. We know so. We call it a job. You know, all these problem things have been taken care of because God has proved His point. So He's clearly communicated to His followers that His what is that things are going to, how things are going to go. And so He's proven once and for all through Job that no one ever has to be tested again. I'm telling you, Job's just an extreme example. But God's going to continue working in our lives to make us more like Himself through whatever means it is. It's not like Job went through all that and nobody else has to go through anything. No, he's extreme. We're the normal life, the normal things of life are troubles. He needed a lot of grace, did Job. In closing, 
Like a lot of the fall rolling, rolling into Job's life, just like in our lives at times, we need grace. You know, marriage does not get easier, it gets harder. So we need grace to keep it working correctly. Work does not get easier, it gets more complicated, it seems perhaps month by month, so we need grace not to respond inappropriately. Child rearing does not get easier. Parents with the babies who are just two and three and four years old, wait till they're 14, wait till they're 18, wait till they're out of the house. We need grace. Everything gets harder. We need grace to relate to one another. We need grace to drive. We need grace if you're following me or I'm following you. We need grace to stay positive. We need grace to keep the church in unity. We need grace to have a business meeting that works well together. We need grace to be good neighbors. We need grace as we get older. Let us never forget what Job's treatment teaches. When folks are out of hope, don't kick them. Don't hold them under. Administer grace. Lots of grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. That's the ticket. That's the ticket out of the fog. God's grace. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You must trust. Job might have been singing sometimes, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there because he was so discouraged. And then sometimes when, his, when his, that orbit gets real close again back to the, the planet, we might hear Job humming something like, but just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Of touching a hand and finding it God's. Of breathing new air and finding it celestial. Of waking up in glory and finding it home. Finally home. And that's what we need. You don't know, I don't know Don Wurtson. You don't know Don Wurtson. Perhaps you might. I know who he was. I know Jack Wurtson, Word of Life, his son Don. He wrote those words. But they're for all of us. Just think about that. Oh, that will be glory for me. Poor Job. I've said to corruption, 14, thou art my father. To the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our rest together is in dust. And then, grace hath brought me safe thus far. Grace will bring me home. There's hope. There's hope in Christ. Let's remember that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Job. He goes through so much. Though he slay me, he said, yet while I trust him, Help us to trust, Lord, we are going through far less stringent tests. May we not throw in the towel. May we not stoop when we should stand. May we not give up the ship. May we not quit, always too soon to quit. Or may we trust you through all these difficult times and rejoice that you are able to see us through. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In, in closing, let's 336.